This is MIT Technology Review. The topic of AI ethics can feel extremely theoretical. And for all the hype around AI, we still don't agree on what AI actually is. The best definitions are kind of vague and without consensus, and it provides a huge challenge for lawmakers and legal scholars all over the world as they look to regulate it. Meanwhile, back-to-back breakthroughs and rapid adoption of some generative AI tools are making it feel a lot more real to everybody else. And it's possible that alone might be enough to push conversations about ethics further into focus. It's incredible innovation. At the same time, it's like opening a Pandora's box. How do we train those AI systems such that they are, you know, on humanity's side, helping us understand the world better instead of right now, I would argue they're kind of trained to appease us. This new wave of sophisticated AI tools is raising some tricky ethical questions, as well as some big concerns about topics such as the future of human labor. And there's something scary about the idea of introducing these immensely powerful, immensely persuasive systems to the world with a mandate that's as limited as just say what will make people happy with you. I'm Jennifer Strong. In this episode, we meet people reflecting on this moment and working to pave the path to a more trustworthy AI. Hmm. Let's go. In Machines We Trust. I'm listening. A podcast about the automation of everything. You have reached your destination. Hey, Melissa. Hey, everyone. I'm Melissa Heikula. I'm a senior reporter for AI at MIT Technology Review. So how would you describe the moment you think we're in right now with AI ethics? Where do things stand? It's a really, really interesting moment. AI enter the mass consciousness. You know, we're seeing ChatGPT, the the first time millions and millions of people are trying AI and seeing for themselves what it can be. And so that's a really interesting time for AI ethics because, you know, in the past, the harms were kind of hypothetical. And now when we're seeing AI being rolled out of the lab into actual products, into writing assistants, email assistants, helping people book stuff or come up with new medicine, the stakes are much, much higher. Last year, we saw the rise of generative AI, and that has totally changed the game. It's such a new, exciting technology that is being applied in so many different products, and it's made multi-billion dollar companies totally shift their research and product agenda. You know, like you have every single big tech company racing to roll out their own generative AI models. And yeah, the harms are super obvious. We see plagiarism, we see potential risk of disinformation on a large scale, election interference, artists who argue that their work can be scraped into these large data sets that are then being reproduced by these AI models. So potential copyright infringements. We're probably going to have to rethink our privacy and copyright laws because of this technology. That's a huge development. Part of the problem here might be, as I realize, we don't we don't have a great definition for what AI ethics even means. And I mean, it goes back. We don't have a great definition of what AI means. This is probably one of the hardest questions people ever ask because the field has no, you know, common agreements on what is AI. And I think the interesting thing happening this year in AI ethics is actually the rise of regulation. 
We're going to see the world's first horizontal AI law called the AI Act, which is being negotiated by the European Union. And I think that will be really, really interesting because it'll be the first time regulators have set some sort of red lines for AI, for this technology and how it should be developed and and deployed. And there I'm paying a lot of attention to how they're defining AI. But one of the problems is, is that even regulators and legal scholars really struggle with this. Well, let's talk about looking forward. Are there particular things as you look ahead that that you think will help this conversation be more productive? In the U.S., the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, has been really good, actually. They've issued some statements saying how they are paying more attention to AI and how AI companies and tech companies shouldn't lie about what their AI tech can do or whether it's even AI. And they have the power to, you know, if they can find Tech companies have violated some of their policies. They have the power to ask tech companies to delete algorithms. And that's a pretty big deterrent. So I think that'll be a really interesting development. Even though the U.S. doesn't have a federal privacy law, I think the FTC is going to be very interesting this year. Melissa Hekala is a senior reporter covering AI at MIT Technology Review. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to hear from IBM's chief privacy officer, Christina Montgomery, along with Neil Sahota, the United Nations AI advisor and founder of its AI for Good initiative. We'll also hear from Mark Sermon, president of Mozilla. They'll share a bit about where they think things stand with AI ethics, what they're working on, and what they're watching going forward. You can find links to our reporting in the show notes, and you can support our journalism by going to techreview.com. We'll be back right after this. Hi, this is Brian Bryson, Director of Event Content and Experiences here at MIT Technology Review. I'm popping into this podcast to invite you to our upcoming AI conference, MTech Digital. MTech Digital is MIT Technology Review's executive briefing on artificial intelligence, its implementation, and impact on business and society. If you're tasked with integrating AI into customer offerings or using AI to streamline operations, this is your once-a-year opportunity to meet and network with the peers and leaders on the cutting edge of AI. Learn more about this exclusive event at mtechdigital.com. Mozilla exists to make sure that the internet, the digital world we all live in, is better for humans and not just driven by profit. And when we started, we really were about taking back the web for people. The web had been kind of vacuumed into Microsoft Windows and meant that developers could only do what Microsoft wanted. It meant that the web was getting crappy for people. And on this 25th year, we're looking at what's the next quarter century? Like, what do we need to fix as we go forward about digital life? And that has a lot to do with AI. Hi, I'm Mark Sermon, and I'm the president of Mozilla. What does AI ethics mean to me? Well, I actually think young people understand this better than anybody. You know, when I talk to my kids or their friends, they talk about TikTok put me into this funnel. And I, you know, that's kind of cool. I knew I was going there. Oh, I'm in this funnel. I didn't want to be there. Maybe it's because everybody watched The Social Dilemma. But I, I think there's a sense that how AI is being developed and who develops it is actually influencing what's possible for us and what's not possible, who gets opportunity, who doesn't get opportunity. And really, AI ethics is about that, making sure that we 
as people get to control where AI goes, and that's about individual autonomy and protecting us from individual harm, but also collective agency. Where as a society can we decide we're going? Where is there democracy in all of this? And also if there's collective harm, say democracy is broken by misinformation, is there accountability for that? I'm Christina Montgomery. I'm the Vice President and Chief Privacy Officer at IBM. I oversee IBM's privacy program, our compliance with privacy laws. I also co-chair our AI Ethics Board. And the board is a multidisciplinary team that's responsible for the governance and decision-making process for AI and other technology ethics-related questions. We've been in business for over a century, and we work with some of the, like, I think 97 out of 100 of the world's largest banks, 80% of all telecommunications companies, half of all retail transactions touch or use IBM technology in some form or fashion. And that means we are touching clients and customers, huge companies that deploy AI in um, business to business, in business to consumer settings, that use AI in really important ways we want to make sure that we are addressing the real concerns that have been raised across society about AI technology. And those questions aren't necessarily about, they're not necessarily technical questions, they're socio-technical kinds of questions. Sure. My name is Neil Sahoda. So I wear a couple of different hats. I'm the United Nations AI advisor and the co-founder of their AI for Good initiative. It's an interesting time, Jennifer, because I think it's kind of opened Pandora's box on intellectual property rights. So what does all this now mean? Is there is there any originality or is it okay that people can just build off other people's work, their their intellectual property, without any kind of compensation or credit? And so that's I think has become the big challenge now. It's a it's become a big ethical question on who actually can own content. You know, we always hear about like, well, what are the ramifications? Just because we can do something doesn't mean we should do it. But you know, the, the huge challenge is we think about the goal we're trying to accomplish, not the side effects, right? Not how people might misuse some of the technology. At the end of the day, all these AI systems, all emerging tech is a tool, but we don't do enough kind of pre-thought, proactive thinking or scenario planning to figure out how some bad actors might abuse it. The other thing is in the digital age, there are no boundaries. So you can't say, well, it's okay in this one area of the world that they're doing that, but we would never allow it over here. There's really no way to stop that. And I think the big thing is that if you want to talk about you know, ethical use of AI or right use of technology, there has to be some common baseline of ethics and morals. And everyone here is probably just thinking like, isn't all of us have a different like ethos? Yeah, we do, and that's the challenge. One thing that's super interesting to me, kind of in what I think of as the post-social dilemma era, in that you know we've been having conversations, like even on Netflix with tens of millions of views, about algorithms for the last few years. And I, I think for a set of people, especially young people who are on things like TikTok that are algorithm-driven, there's a fair bit of literacy about the fact we live in this algorithmically curated culture. And then what you see happening is, you know, people like the content they get, but they also feel manipulated. And so they game the AI back and they try to push it in a certain direction. And to me, that is really hopeful in that there is a swath of the public that cares how these tools work. 
what's sad is, you know, we shouldn't have to game the system. We should have tools. And, you know, we should build into these apps or we should build into the toolkits of AI ways that we can nudge the software back instead of just having the software nudge us. And so there's something I think in the, the, what is the phenomena in public of pushing back in AI that gives us a hint of what we should be building into software, into tooling, into kind of the AI of the future. And a lot of these questions come down to not just how the technology is built, but whether technology should be used to address a given problem in the first place or a given challenge in the first place. Because a lot of the questions and concerns with AI come not from the technology itself, but from the use of that technology in context. And that's where the board sort of comes in and decides, you know, first off and fundamentally, should we be using technology in this construct in the first place? So a great example is in response to COVID-19, right? How can we apply technology to help address the global pandemic? So we started seeing requests for using facial recognition technology in fever detection systems or in mask wearing applications. So lots of people motivated by good, right? But we had to say to ourselves, for example, if you look at something like trying to detect whether somebody is wearing a mask, do you need to capture all the facial metrics? Do you have to employ real facial recognition software to accomplish that? Right. Um, and do you have to capture images to accomplish that? And so we said no. You know, we said no to a number of use cases in that space. And then in June of that year, we actually ended up being the first technology company to say, with respect to facial recognition, we're not going to deploy facial recognition general purpose APIs anymore because we don't think it's quite ready in terms of the potential for the use and the potential for the abuse of those APIs at this point in time needs to be explored further before we're comfortable playing in that space. You know, AI, I think, has come a long way. You know, a lot of people talk about ChatGPT and like Dolly 2 today, generative AI, and that actually has its roots eight, nine years ago. Like eight years ago, I was working with Alex the Kid to use generative AI to, you know, compose music, write lyrics. It's just, I think the training, the comfort level, the more... I call it kind of mass tools out there for general use, like ChatGPT, just kind of hit the sweet spot. And I think that's why we're seeing this kind of explosion. There's still some hype, but we're seeing an explosion in terms of actual use. Five years ago, if I asked the question, how many people are using AI, maybe 10% of people raised their hands. Just sort of like, yeah, I probably use it behind the scenes or something, I don't know it. And today, when I ask that question, everybody raises their hand. They're all like, I'm actively using it. It's, that's a big difference. In terms of what do we do, like to take hope and turn it into action, it depends on who you are. Like there's different players who are important in pushing AI in a better direction, different direction. You know, on the one hand, the, the big players who are defining this need to think about ethics and responsibility and trust. And that's starting-ish to happen. But actually, I think they're the least important players in this. Who's important is startups or researchers or people who really want to put trust first and build those building blocks and do it, you know, do it where trust is at the beginning of the, the kind of list of priorities and, and maybe profit is a little bit lower down. And that means building things like transparency tools, building things like better recommendation engines where users can shape things, building things that detect bias and discrimination and things that avoid misinformation. And so I, I really am excited about the set of startups that we see emerging in that space, the set of researchers emerging in that space. 
One of the things I would kind of challenge you with is to think about like, what's the one thing you could do to either help yourself, your community, you know, your, your ultimately your business, wherever you work. Uh, that's the way we really should be thinking. I think there's too many people that they're like, there's a lot of great technologists out there. I'm just along for the ride. The best AI solutions come from really the people that know their domains. So don't be afraid to understand the capabilities and figure out how to apply them for whatever you want to try and do. We released a thoughtful point of view, working with our policy teams, calling for the precision regulation of artificial intelligence. So it advocated for regulation that would address high-risk uses, address AI being used in contexts where it is impacting people's fundamental rights, people's safety. That's how the AI act is essentially playing out now. I think what's going to be important from a regulatory perspective is how do we figure out what's driving our concerns and how to address regulation towards those concerning applications of AI. So that that will be happening and it is happening. And then just, just practically speaking, how do we do things like audit? Because Yes, some AI should be audited, and some of those results probably should be public. But what does that mean operationally? There's all different concepts and concerns. Another player that can help things go in the right direction is regulators. And I would say can, because it's you know not that all regulation helps. A lot of people say, you know, innovation is going to be held back by regulation. And I guess my two answers to that are buhaki. Uh, if we look at seatbelts, they drove, you know, decades of safety innovation in the automobile industry, and that came from regulation. But on the other hand, we do need to be cautious. Like the wrong regulation, you know, too vague, too specific, actually will hold back innovation. And that's where actually really looking at who are the players who we want to make sure are accountable where do we incent the right building blocks to emerge as opposed to really very specific use cases and so on is really important. And I would say the discussion around open source and general purpose AI in the EU AI Act is something we've dug into as a place where it could go wrong, it could go right. And actually digging in with regulators on those topics is really critical right now. I also think that we have an opportunity right now as a society to get ahead and aligned on AI regulation. We didn't do that with privacy. You know, we, we kind of missed our opportunity and now we're dealing with 130 some odd, 140 comprehensive privacy regulations that are all a little bit different or a lot different around the globe. It's challenging for companies. It's frankly a lot easier for global companies like IBM than it is for smaller companies and medium companies. And what does that do to competition, right? If you're, if you're imposing regulations that only the biggest companies can follow. So I think we have an opportunity now to not replicate that for AI, to align with like-minded countries, to align on a values-based system, to align on a common taxonomy in the space of AI. So from a regulatory perspective, what is the difference between artificial intelligence and an algorithmic decision-making tool? Like all of those things are slightly different and nuanced. And we need to have those conversations to try to drive as much alignment as possible in the good and the bad. You know, what, what are we gonna restrict? What are we going to allow? And what do those regulations look like concretely? What do we mean by responsible AI? 
And so that's, I think, going to be fleshed out over the next year to five years. This episode was reported and produced by me and Anthony Green with help from Emma Silicons and Melissa Hakela. It was edited by Matt Honan and mixed by Garrett Lang with original music by Garrett Lang and Jacob Gorski. Thanks for listening. I'm Jennifer Strong. This is MIT Technology Review.